This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 34. I'm back! Yay! And Mr. Bain is back. Yes, I'd, I'd wave with this hand, but I can't, so I'm just going to wave with the right hand. He's got the pink <laughs> cast on. He's Dude, got a, save the tatas. He's got a reattached uh, distal bicep tendon. I do, I do. It's all... Uh, all anchored in. Uh, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll forward you the picture, and you can attach that to the uh, the post on this one. But uh, got a screw anchor, and I got what looks like a uh, a four prong anchor in uh, in my left forearm, and uh, we are healing nicely. So it was uh, it was a good follow up uh, a couple days ago, Tuesday, as we're recording this. And uh, by the time this drops, I'll probably have the cast off, okay. staples out, and I'll have the big bionic like Gronk style uh, elbow brace on. Okay, well, we'll get into that a little bit, but yeah. uh, some loose ends from past week. So, Bane was out last week. I was. And we had Jan, Jan. who filled in for two consecutive episodes. She did. Uh, maybe she needs her own podcast, I, I said at the end. I wouldn't say she filled in, uh, except for Thursday. I mean, she was she was the subject of the first one. Sure, right. Uh, she's She filled in on Thursday. Yeah. Um, she... Uh, she was on two consecutive episodes. Yes, yes, she definitely um, was. And speaking of that, phew! Oh, that was a long one that's with Fahey. Yeah, that's what she said. Um, that was our longest ever, I believe. Yeah, that, uh, that's crazy, man. It's it's uh, three plus or four plus hours long of Fahey talking, and then twenty or so minutes of Jen and I on the on the on the two opposite ends of that. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Quite interesting info from Fahey. Um, I'm excited know. to listen to this one. Like it's uh, it's going to be good. Yep. So other than that, Bane, you talked about it a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, what is going on? Uh, well, uh, as you can see, whenever we drop this on YouTube, but you'll you'll hear it in my voice here. I am uh, recovering nicely from my surgery. Uh, so for those who maybe haven't heard, if you may be catching this episode for the first time, uh, back on April 29th, I was doing rack pulls in my garage in uh, at 316 Barbell, as we're calling it. And at the top of the movement, I was doing uh, pulls against bands, and I ruptured my left distal tendon, uh, which is that tendon that connects your bicep to your elbow. So ruptured that, and the following week, actually a week after, to the day after getting that uh, injury, uh, went and saw the ortho. He looked at it. It probably took him all of 15 minutes to say, uh, yeah, definitely ruptured distal tendon. We got to have surgery. Uh, even with the COVID-19 situation that we're in, we were able to actually push everything through because uh, the deterioration of the tendon <clears throat> could actually cause like long-term damage. So while it was sure. life-threatening, uh, they wanted to have that done as quickly as possible. So uh, <laughs> with in under 24 hours, I was on the operating table and they reattached everything, put all the the screws in and uh it, it pretty funny uh, i'll share this story so i've only been put under a few times i shared this with you earlier eric mm-hmm. and i when i come out from under anesthesia i am like belligerent and i was expecting nicole to not necessarily be there but i wanted to make sure she knew i was okay and i wasn't really running anything through a brain cell it was all just a stream of consciousness and i was trying to rip all the different sensors off of me and 
I was very angrily asking them to uh, confirm that Nick w- knew I was okay and that I was out of surgery and that I was fine. They actually went and got the security guy. And when he came in, he was all of probably 5'7 at the most and 150 pounds. And he said, I, I can't handle this individual, so please calm him down. <laughs> so, but uh but all was good you know got home uh i did have an inc- incident uh that first day where i didn't have my sling on and my arm kind of just took all the weight of the the cast uh the cast is actually bigger than this one i have on currently and i felt like i could feel the anchors trying to pull out of the bone oh boy that might have been the most pain i've ever felt in my life that was really unbelievable like it, i it Putting, articulating it is almost impossible. Like, just so much. Pain. So more painful than the injury itself? There was no pain of the injury. Oh, okay. Zero. I knew what happened. Like, it was surprising. It's probably unlikely that the anchors are going to come out. I mean, obviously, you know. Correct. But it was just... Painful. Oh, my gosh. It was unbelievable just feeling all that. Um, but all that said, fast forward to Tuesday. Uh, there's a very, very tiny, almost microscopic layer of bone already over top of them. Uh, which doctor was very, very pleased with. Uh, so, yeah, so they're, they're very, very happy with how everything's healing right now. So Cool. Um, what about physical therapy, that kind of stuff? When does that start? That starts next week. So we'll oh, get cool. this off. Uh, we'll get the staples out. They'll do a couple checks. They'll clean my arm off, make sure it doesn't stink too bad. Uh, on, only downside, I've already been training, so I'm already sweating in this thing. So it it was ripe when they pulled off the first one. Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was pretty nasty, but... Uh, we'll start physical therapy next week. I'll have at least eight weeks of that. Uh, I may have, if everything goes according to their plan, I may have clearance to start um, like PVC pipe weight pressing movements after eight weeks. Okay. Uh, so all things very, very positive. And uh, to those listening who have reached out, because I had a lot of people reach out to me after the injury, uh, thank you so much. I, I really cannot express how amazing the powerlifting community was in, uh, in just – supporting and giving a good input not just you know oh hey rest it or don't go too heavy after this i love my family but you're all fucking stupid um (laughs) (laughs) seriously i just i I love my father-in-law for giving me my wife but brad just don't talk to me um he'll probably never listen to this he will never listen to this i guarantee it he's heard about it a bunch of times and refuses to listen uh mostly because of the hat by the way um yeah mega so yeah, which has literally nothing to do with politics. Not a thing, but it's it's a red hat with white writing. So yeah, ban all ban all red hats. Exactly, cancel culture. But yeah, so it, it's it's been great. And uh, actually, uh, Anthony Oliveria uh, connected me with one of his guys that is eight weeks post op. Okay. So he and I have been just swapping a lot of almost identical injuries, but very different procedures we had done. Uh, so hmm. that was what was really interesting. He and I have been swapping a lot of notes. Did they have a so. different tendon, or they just nope. did it differently? Just did it differently. So mine uh, was through only one of the bones, only one incision. He has uh, two incisions on his because they tied off on the back end. Um, hmm. So, yeah, just basically two different doctors, two different versions, hmm. uh, but both giving us the same prognosis. So, if you know, you'll... They advised not using this as my supinated arm if I st- stay with a mixed grip. Uh, that would probably be uh, not a good idea. That um, was your supinated arm, I take it, right? Yes, yes, it was. Uh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it it is what it is. It's a learning experience, and uh, I mean that's typical. Most of the time, you're going to go. I assume you're right-handed. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, you're going to go with your non-dominant hand as your mm-hmm. supinated arm. Yep. So you know, Eric Rozier, another huge influence on my powerlifting career, uh, has been instrumental in just keeping my head right. And you know, we're already talking about you know how to hook grip and you know what to do with that if I choose to make that jump. 
so just a lot of stuff has happened over the last two weeks, and it's been uh, nothing but encouraging and positive, and uh, it's helped me keep my head right because I did have a moment where I, I was sitting out of my garage uh, after this happened, and just the enormity of quarantine, injury, no meats, no like just everything kind of hit, and, yeah. and I I went down that spiral for a solid hour, and it was it was rough. Yeah, and, that's not good for anybody. No, no, it was not. And but I, I had my moment, and I was able to kind of pull back from that. So um, that was a very long winded recovery update. But that's that's what's going on. <laughs> so, that's good. Yeah. Do, now, do you get to go to whoever you want for physical therapy, or do you have to go to one of their people? I do have to go to one of their people, which oh, really okay. sucked because I was actually talking with Tom Krawick. That's exactly who I was going to recommend. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to go with him, uh, but unfortunately, I do have to stick with Illinois Bone and Joint. The positive, though, is that they're reopening the Des Plaines location. I can literally walk to physical therapy. Oh well, that's great. Which is positive, and so that sticks with my. Yeah, not that they're not good. It's just, I mean, obviously. Tom is a power lifter. He's gone through some injuries himself, yep. including blowing out both knees. Right. I mean, recovering it and squatting in hundred afterwards. He's put Steve Brock back together. Like, I mean, he if, if I was gonna go to anybody and I had my choice, I would hundred percent go to him. Yeah. I did ask and it was uh, unfortunately not approved by my insurance. So uh, well that happens. Yeah, and that's why I have it, is to, for them to pay for it, not me. So Sure, that's what uh, insurance is for. Exactly, exactly. So Stone, what's going on? Um, you know, uh, I, my quarantine weight got up, uh, very close to, uh, a number, which I've never been at before. Yeah. Uh, so it was time to, to get back, uh, on the, on the weight loss or at least on the healthy eating train. A little extra beefy. Yeah. Way too much. When your clothes are, <laughs> are not fitting well anymore. Yeah. Um, even after two, two, two and a half weeks, I only have like two pairs of jeans that actually fit. Okay. Mm. Luckily, I don't need to wear jeans that often right now. But Nor the, do I, what about the khakis, though? The khakis still fit fine. Okay. Well, that's fine. Yeah, the khakis still fit fine because they're, uh, I don't know, they just fit looser than my jeans, I guess. I have okay. no idea. But, uh, yeah, my wife and I are back on the weight loss train. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's hard because when you're in this uh, mindset, as you kind of talked about, um, you know, I just heard a report that said that alcohol sales had spiked in the last oh, they're six to eight weeks. Record levels. I have right. some friends you know. that work at, a, at an importer uh, called Diageo. They're one of the largest importers in the world, uh, or in North America. They import from all over the world. And they've seen, like, double-digit sales growth uh, month over month during the quarantine. I guess I'm glad somebody's business is doing well. Yeah, yeah. But, Sorry. you know, people deal with things in different ways, and sometimes you deal with it with drinking more. Sometimes you deal with it with uh, eating crappy food yes and that was kind of my uh probably both of those but definitely eating too much crappy food yeah so but i'm back on the uh back on that train so <laughs> feeling good um bane yes what is great uh you know there's a lot of great stuff uh my circle i mentioned earlier the folks that have kind of rallied around me during this whole process my doc was awesome uh fun fact he actually worked on ernie franz uh, That's awesome. Which was really, really cool. We found which, that out. which surgery did he do on Ernie? He's uh, had his many. shoulder and his wrists. Okay, I was about to say, yeah, he's had numerous. Yeah. I think he's had both shoulders done. Yeah, so I actually showed him a picture from uh, the Dead Commandments uh, from our post uh, about that. And he's like, yeah, I remember him. He's a little older than that. Than that. Uh, but, yeah, I remember this guy. So it was really, really cool to have that connection. Uh, painkillers are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's funny because I've never been on painkillers. When my wife's taking them, like, she immediately gets off them because she gets nauseous from them and... The nausea is worse than the is worse than the pain. Yeah, I never had the problem with the nausea. The constipation was legit. That was a legit. Yeah, thing. it's like when they talk about do you have opioid induced yeah. constipation? Here's another drug you could take. Yes, here's how this will help you poop. Um, yeah, so but the painkillers were awesome because like I said 
Thursday and Friday were really rough, uh, but then yeah, I've been off them since since Monday. Uh, and the Spider Bar, which I borrowed from Tier Two XL, uh, is a great thing. I was able to uh, get out under that last night, and that just it just felt awesome to be moving. It wasn't crazy weight; it was like four hundred something, but it was just really nice to be moving some weight. It's my favorite specialty bar. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pain in the ass. It sucks, uh, but it's still it's great. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Stone, what is great? Deload weeks are great, and especially when big, you actually earn them. Big facts. Um, yes, big facts. Uh, I did uh, like two weeks of a program I wrote for myself starting to kind of train for AAPF Nationals, which, of course, now is postponed. Um, but, you know, it was kind of haphazard and not really putting all of my into it, and then uh, restarted it mm-hmm. three weeks ago and actually, you know, trained semi-hard and have earned my deload. So I think deloads are good. I think they're necessary. Um, it's nice to have a deload weeks mentally because it's like, all right, so I don't have to, to deload after a semi-hard. But anyway, yeah. I just don't even have to come in and put as much mental energy towards it. You can just kind of yeah. not go through the motions, but you can, you know, not get psyched up as much as you do for a heavy max effort workout. Yeah, there's, so. that, there's a toll that it takes on you when you have to just mentally get ready for, for max effort work. Yep. 100%. So in our... Pulsa throwback. Yes. We've got December two thousand five, and I feel like we've done another 05 issue. I don't. I don't have like a list of the ones that we've done. We definitely have, but this seems familiar. What we're talking about. Um, sure. We've done a lot. There's a lot in the the stack I've been pulling from. That's oh five, oh six, oh seven. So yeah. we've been pulling a lot from there. Um, I know Amy Jackson gave me a whole bunch more. Excellent. I think more newer ones, and that newer in like you know the later two thousands, early twenty tens when. Okay. Pulsa was still running, mm-hmm. uh, but this is a pretty good one. So on the cover, we've got a lot of different things going on here. I mean, two major meets, mm-hmm. but a lot of people on the cover. So we've got Bench America 3. Which we've heard about. We've talked about on the show before. Yep. Um, I mean, man, it was it was really a well-attended meet. I mean, a lot of really good lifters in there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's your results, Bane. I can hold that up. Yeah. Um, on the cover. Just zoom in. You can read it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can definitely. <laughs> I could post that. Uh, but you've got Jason Jackson, who's not a guy I'm familiar with. I mean, the name sounds familiar, maybe only because, like, you know, Jackson's a really, like... Jason and Jackson are both common names, so... Right. It's not a guy I'm super familiar with, but he benched 777 at 242. Now, this is single ply. I don't care, man. That's right. A, oh, yeah. That's a big number. It's a big bench of single ply. Yeah. It looks like they allowed... Uh, it's hard to say. I'm trying to see if... It looks like most of the shirts are closed back. Because I say, I don't know if they allowed... Open back shirts, mm-hmm. single ply. It's hard to say. I mean, wi- I'll have to say with the stretchy back, it doesn't really matter that much. It's a little easier to get into an open back. Um, so this was, I believe, uh, this is this Bench America three. This happened October first, two thousand five. It was mm-hmm. single ply and quote drug tested. Um, so they said in the article. Um, I, I believe it, I believe it was year two they moved to single ply drug tested. Okay. Um, there's some lift. I'm not going to point out anybody because it's not for me to say whether anybody's non tested or not. Um, and let's be real here, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. But there's many lifters in here whom traditionally compete non tested. Okay. Um, there's many, many. So. But there's some there's some well known good lifters that lifted in this meet. I mean, uh, we're going to talk about the WPO from this year as well. But yeah. Ryan Canelli was one that lifted in both. Wow, Bench America three and the WPO bench. Um, you had Carrie Bohegian who lifted again. You've got some uh, some well known guys like Mike Mike Womack, 
Brian Siders, mm-hmm. uh, local guy, uh, Lance Carabell, who unfortunately looks like he bombed. Um, Dennis Sherry, uh, another pretty well-known guy. Joe Mazza, really well-known, good bencher at 165. Mm-hmm. So, um, But Jason Jackson was on the cover, and he won it all. Um, he was your best lifter. Stacks on stacks. Yeah, 777 bench. So impressive. Looks like he won 10 grand, which same man. Ten not a mans. bad day's work. It's interesting because the sponsors, the major sponsors for this meet, I'll, I'll give them some credit for at least having some sponsorship. Um, mm-hmm. They had uh, – Jiffy Lube and the newly formed Export were sponsors of it, which I thought was interesting. Interesting. So, um, it, which it, who knows if Export even comes out of this quarantine? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that they will. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't wish anything ill will on anybody. No, not at all. But I'm uh, talking reality here. Yeah, Export uh, and a lot of big commercial gyms, I'd say, will will struggle. They are. Um, they are going to. We'd also had on the cover uh, Becca Swanson standing hey, with Becca Swanson with Kara Bohegan. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the big man Jeff Lewis, who is just he talked about him a couple times, man. but he is just an enormous, enormous man. Um, so, so I want to know: is it the Steve Brock lip or the Jeff the Jeff Lewis lip? Because that's like the same thing they both do. I mean, Jeff Lewis is definitely uh, more well known, but yeah. Brock probably lifted before Jeff Lewis because he was pretty young, even though he doesn't look very young. Sure. This is early in his career. 1,200 pounds um, would do that to you. Yeah, and being 400-plus <laughs> pounds. Yes, um, hard living right there, kids. Um, Brock took a break, obviously, and it's been back more recently, but he lifted yep. back in the day. But uh, ironically, this meet took place October 30th, 05, mm-hmm. also in Chicago. Hey. Both these two meets took place in Chicago. Um, it's a little bit of an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, there was going to be uh, a big Chicago fitness expo, which I was – partially involved mm. with back in 05 um it was going to be the chicago fitness expo or something like that mm. and then you know i was kind of involved in it helping because i had the website that the guy contacted with me and he was looking for a powerlifting opponent and then at a certain point the wpo got involved which of course i was you know happy yeah. for them to be there and they yeah, were sure. going to come and bring all their own equipment um and it, this was going to be the wpo semifinals. Mm-hmm. um this is me uh, that meet from 05 and then it got canceled mostly because mccormick place is just too expensive to run an event and yeah. so the wpo and kieran kidder and amy jackson kind of had to last minute find a, a hotel um mm-hmm. for this meet and from what i understand they lost their ass on it i can imagine because it was, last minute, for it was last minute so they couldn't set up a nice contract they probably just had to pay a rental fee Ended up being not great for them, but it was something like they'd already announced that they were going to have the meet. And, you know, we talked to Kieran a couple weeks ago, yeah. and he talked about how much money he put into things. This was one of those that he he definitely put in more than he got out of it. I can tell you that 100% because I was around back then. I'm hoping that at some point they do bring uh, the WPO in line with some, like, you know, Chicago Fit Expo or whatever, uh, and we can have it just right there in Rosemont. Like, that is a great venue, I think, for, for meets. I don't disagree. I just don't know that uh, the – the financials of it work. Maybe they would. I don't know. Again, I, it can't. It wouldn't be able to be standalone. It has to be alongside something else. Yeah, I mean, there was the Chicago Fit Expo that was yeah. uh, at the Sears Center, I believe, was it? No, it was, it was there in Rosemont. Oh, was it there in Romos, yeah. Rosemont? And I know that they only ran that for a couple of years, and they said they canceled it because it was not financially mm, viable. So I don't know. Uh, Chicago is not an ideal location to run, uh, at least in Chicago proper. Now, no, no. on the outskirts, like when we ran our Chicago Strength Expo and yeah. the now defunct 
mega yeah. center, um, that kind of thing works because you can be a little bit more flexible. Mm -hmm. um, also notable in this WPO semis, uh, we had on the cover, yes, big Jeff Lewis mm -hmm. with a 1201 squat. I'm not sure if that was the first 1,200-pound squat. It definitely was one of the first ones. Yeah, definitely one of them. Um, and he's a just a massive – I'll hold that up again. Um, he's just a massive human being. Huge. I mean, 400-plus. He lifted both the USAPL – um, we talked about a bad accident in the USAPL meet with him mm -hmm. where he, he tumbled. I don't know what's happened to him. I do know that most super heavyweights don't stick around or don't stick as super heavyweights well, long yeah, term. Yeah, probably not sticking to super heavyweight. That doesn't yeah, have a just, lot of longevity. We're going to talk about that later um, and with another guy. Mm -hmm. But we had Gary Frank lifted at this meet, uh, winning the super heavyweight with a 27-33 total. And uh, another one of our guests, Laura Phelps, was uh, at this meet, had a – 1504 total at 165, had a 683 squat, attempted 700. Uh, I know we talked about her first time at the WPO. She unfortunately bombed. Yep. And so she was successful in this one um, later in the year. Um, so, yeah, Ryan Canelli, he competed in both. Wow. Uh, and, you know, these weren't that long, far apart. I mean, again. Uh, 30 days, man. <laughs> October 1st, October 30th. Uh, yeah. I guess if I was going to make my choice, I'd probably want to do the single ply first, then the multiply, as opposed to the, other way around. the reverse. So. Um, we had a box squatting benefits article by Louis Simmons. That almost sounds like a like a like a fundraising. The, does, the box yeah. squat benefits. We do box squats for benefits. So he had some some good things in this article. I mean, talking about why I've read numerous articles of him talking about why Westside uses uh, the box squat, why mm -hmm. he likes the box squat. Um, some of the things I thought were things he's talked about before but some a little bit more interesting i mean uh the big is that it's a more of a posterior chain focus hamstrings and glutes allows you to sit back more um quick recovery and i do think this is true because it does eliminate some of that eccentric portion which mm -hmm. is where most of your recovery time is going to come from mm -hmm. um it does help with flexibility i agree with that he talks about some of the PNF type qualities, PNF being proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, which is usually a type Write of stretch contract uh, stretching. Um, look up PNF stretching if you're really interested, but I'm not sure it really does PNF, but I, there's probably some quasi relation to it. Mm -hmm. But I will say as well, if you have somebody that struggles with depth, I almost always have them start with, okay, let's work on a box squat above parallel, then we'll go to a box squat to parallel, mm -hmm. then we'll go to a box squat slightly below parallel to have them teach to be able to use their hips and sit back and get that depth right. um, can help more with the deadlift than regular squatting. I, I generally agree with that, um, especially if you're sumo. I mean, um, I suppose conventional as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're doing rehab, you know, mm -hmm. say like a knee rehab, a mm -hmm. box squat's a great way to do that. I do agree with that. And talks about that it can build more explosive power. Um, I guess I get his point there because you are breaking up the eccentric, concentric, mm -hmm. you know, chain there. And so you do have to have that more explosiveness off the box. Right. So don't just give them a rebound you know, off there. But. There's been times when I've been anti-box squats. I like box squats now. They really help my hips. Mm -hmm. Later in my career, I do think, like we talked about with Anthony Oliveira, um, if you're a raw lifter, it probably makes sense to do more free squats and mm -hmm. less box squats. Sure. I, I do remember when Westside was really big that some lifters were only box squatting in training, mm -hmm. and then they would go to the meet and they would struggle. So I do think that so you're reaching for that box. Yeah, I do think that you do need to learn to re you know free squat, especially again if you're a raw lifter. If you're an equipped lifter, you know there's some carryover between 
sitting back to a box and sitting into the suit. I mean, yep. it, it's a similar, right. it's a similar motion, really. Similar, similar bar path or booty path, basically. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there is something that I think box squatting works well for mm-hmm. equipped lifters. For if you're going to squat twice a week, though, I think like Louie talked about from the recovery standpoint, if you're going to do kind of that conjugate, you know, a dynamic effort day, I think box squats make a lot of sense. Yeah, sure. Um, Here's a secret: it's a good at everything, really easy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was a meet write up from Gus Rethwich from the 1979 Hawaii World Record Breakers. Interesting. I didn't realize the Hawaii. He's actually talked about the Hawaii Record Breakers started in 1978. Okay. Um, if you go back to our history of like. Even the USPF, mm-hmm. um, I don't think the USPF came into existence until like what was it like 1982 or something? So 81, 82, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was even pre when powerlifting was really I, I, I super organized. This is like another like episode that I think is all by itself is just that that powerlifting 101, like the the overall history of it, like you know sure. how it went from the odd lifts to an actual like competitive sport to the federation. Like that's gonna be a whole episode, I think, at one point. We sure, it would require a lot of research, but oh, I do a think. Ton. I do think that would be interesting. But, uh, you know, there was some coverage from CBS Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some uh, – the guy, uh, I think his name is Einhorn, mm-hmm. who was a former owner of the White Sox, apparently threw up some cash for this. Um, he was big on powerlifting. He was the owner of the White Sox before Jerry Reinsdorf, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got some coverage from CBS. Kaz, Bill Kazmaier competed in this meet. Mm-hmm. So interesting. He didn't even have – like – it was just a. It was your typical stream of consciousness of Gus Rethwich talking. Like, sure. It didn't even have like a proper like you know actual like results that you could look at that would be fun to post. It's just like four pages of Gus talking. Um, you can almost if you know Gus or heard just, him talk. Just dictated, not read. It's essentially that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was an article on the premature death of Anthony Clark, who's not a guy we've talked about a lot, no. but he was a well-known powerlifter. Um, he died at only 38. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was controversially the best or the first man to bench 800. Um, he did it with a reverse grip, Bane, if you didn't know that. Oh, okay. And it was controversial because if you, it was at the Arnold Classic, I believe around the year 2000, maybe 99. It was before the WPO was actually at the Arnold. It was um, when it was an APF meet, but not there was no WPO yet, not Kieran right. involved. Right. Um, he apparently hit the uprights. And then, you know, some like the rule is you can't ride the uprights. Right. Like, you can't use it to assist the lift, but if it if you, you know, bounce hit, off it, it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, well, I don't know if you can bounce off it, but if it hits it and it doesn't aid in the lift, then it's not illegal. Okay. He got two white lights on it, but it was, you know, you some people didn't count it. Jamie Harris was, I think at the time, had benched like 780 and, mm-hmm. and didn't believe it. If you've seen any recent internet posts of, of uh, not Anthony Clark, he's passed, but of mm-hmm. Jamie Harris. You'll know that Jamie Harris is, uh, we'll say he's an interesting individual. Yeah. Um, yeah, look up some of his internet posts I'll, and his fights with people. I'll have to go and dig that um, up. But, yeah, Anthony Clark, he was also a full power lifter at one time. I, a story that Maris Sternberg told me was that it was, I think, before one of the Hawaii Record Breakers meets in the 80s even, mm-hmm. um, mid-80s, where he was really having trouble hitting depth, and they were, like, in the hotel room, like, sitting on his shoulders, like, forcing him down into depth because he was so inflexible and like showing him where depth actually was. Um, The article is interesting. It talks about, you know, kind of the cost of powerlifting, you know, the the cost on your health and Mm -hmm. the cost of being a super heavyweight, you know, Jeff Lewis, we just talked about. And I I haven't seen him in a meet in many years. I don't know anything about what he's happened to him since this time. He was big for a while there in the early 2000s. 
Um, most super heavyweights, they either don't remain super heavyweights or they don't live to be very old, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's a lot. Like even somebody you think like our size, you know, being five, eight and, you know, usually two sixty five, two seventy, that's, that's tough. It's a lot of stress on my body, right? Whether it's all muscle or all fat, regardless, it's um, it's still a lot of stress. And in their case, (laughs) it's, it's harder on your heart, you know? And that's not, that's not a rip on big dudes. It's just, that's just, it's reality. The heart isn't made to pump through 400 pounds of tissue, no matter what those tissues are. No. Um, he talks about cardiovascular healthy author. He talks about quote gear use. Um, I mean, he doesn't, not the equipment. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't take a a negative view. But I mean, let's let's face it. If you're on anabolics for many 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 years straight, and you take a high dose of any drug, let's let's just say Anything, any yeah. any drug really. If you take a high dose of any drug for a long period of time, there's going to be a consequence to that. Even if you you do things the right way. Um, right. And, and, and let's let's be anything. face it. The guys that are pushing themselves to the top, they're not taking a therapeutic dose of anabolics. No, I mean anything done in the extreme. It's going has to has yeah. effects, yeah. and and in this case, yes, one of the effects is extreme strength. One of the extre- one of those things also is that with that extreme strength, potentially don't is could be damaged to your heart, damaged to your heart, and taking years off your life. Yeah, it's just and, and so for those listening, weigh those circumstances out when you're looking at that. It could be worth it to you. It might it might be. Yeah, if you asked Ronnie Coleman, was it you know, and who's been in a wheelchair, you know, had a botched surgery and stuff. If you asked him, was it worth it winning the Mr. Olympia? Eight times. Eight times. He would say yes. And and he, you know, he has famously been quoted as saying, "My if I knew what I knew now, my only regret is I didn't go for a third rep on 800. <laughs> Jeez. Like, which you, you got to admire that mindset. You know, I don't know if you, I think you even watching uh, The Last Dance, right, with uh, the Bulls and all that. I have, and I love it. It's wonderful. And, and I think that is one of the big differences is in mindset of a lot of today's athletes versus some of yesteryear, like Michael Jordan easily could play in today's NBA, no problem. From a skill perspective, athletic, you think it is even right now? You think not right now? I'm saying oh. his, Jordan is prime. Oh, okay. His oh, skills, of course. His skills. But here's the thing: I think he would be pushed out of the league because his mindset would not work with today's athletes. I think it depends. I mean, I think he would struggle with some of the rule changes in the current league as far as defense and stuff. I, I think he I would struggle. I think he would adapt. Oh, certainly he would adapt. But, but I think his mindset of winning and winning at all cost doesn't fit with the super friends teams of now sure it doesn't but at the same time if you're michael jordan and you're the best player in the league you know you can kind of set the trend just like right now lebron's been the best player in the league and i think he kind of sets sets he he sets the precedent of what the league is like right now i mean i don't think even all the players on the bulls liked him back then but he definitely didn't but but he he was a winner but if they had been if they had been five and one in the finals or four and one going into that last dance i don't think he would have had the same pull right no no you're not you're not wrong um and it's funny because I think even Jordan said beforehand, like, I'm kind of afraid for people to see this side of me mm-hmm. because, you know, they might see kind of what a dick I was. He did not his words, me paraphrasing. Uh, it, others it, in the special have said it. <laughs> right. In my opinion and watching it, it's given me actually just more insight and even maybe even more respect just for what Jordan did to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. One of the lines in there, I know, I know we're on a tangent here, but I think it's important for this sport because this is a definitely a, there is mindset just as much as training. Sure. You, you got to train from the neck down to so much you got to train between the six inches of years. He pushed so hard because he had tasted winning. He had been to the mountaintop and these guys hadn't. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I wanted them to taste 
what I what I'd been through and what I what I'd accomplished. I wanted them to have that same feeling. And so he always did come from a great place. But you know, his methodology obviously was going to be push you to your absolute limit. Yeah, maniacal almost. Uh, oh, 100%. And maniacal about winning in general. He just I mean, gosh, he wanted to beat you in everything. You see yeah. him in some of those the, behind the, the, the scenes. Guy, the guy with the perm, he's <laughs> playing quarters. Right, with he's him. playing quarters with the one guy and he's <laughs> pissed off when he loses. I mean, it's unbelievable just I mean, and spending thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on golf. And then finally, Oh, and by the way, Bane, they did. I, did. I saw it. They did address the wrong, the Jordan, wrong, the Jordan bullshit, <laughs> the Jordan conspiracy. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. You're Jordan, not going to convince me that it didn't happen. Stern it talked happen. about it. Jordan man, talked about Stern's it. Stern's dead. He they, they killed him on purpose. He's like Epstein. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let, let's move on from the last dance. So that's very good. Yes. Um, we had results from the APF Iron Battle on the Mississippi, September 10th, 05. Um, I'm pretty sure I wrote this article. Nice. Because um, I started reading through it. I'm like, oh, I mentioned Jackie Eben. Then Eben is mentioned. Wow. Maris is mentioned. I'm like, oh, thanks results. Thanks to Eric Stone. I'm like, oh, I think I actually wrote this res- this uh, this article. Um, this is a nice write-up I did, actually. Um, mm-hmm. That's when Jackie and I were basically traveling out twice a year to help Bill Carpenter with his APF meets. Yeah. Um, nice. Maris announced. Jackie ran the table. I judged. Our buddy Sweeney was there judging. Nice. Um, so, yeah, interesting uh, throwback there to the old uh, APF Iowa meets we used to help with in Dubuque, mm-hmm. Iowa. Um, Ew, gross. Top 100, 148s from October 04 to September 05. We have TJ, TJ Horner with a 755 squad. That's impressive. Ooh. Ooh. Jay Cheklowski, not a guy I'm familiar with, yeah. a 520 bench. I should, I should back up. Um, we also have more well-known guys that I know of. Uh, Nick Hatch, who mm-hmm. we talked about, who was like a teenage phenom. Yeah. Um, 735. He's Shoot, probably like shooting six, star style. He's probably like 16 years old at the time. And that's not an exaggeration. That's crazy. Uh, maybe 17. Uh, Brian Schwab, owner of mm-hmm. uh, Orlando Barbell, yep. was number three, 661. Still, uh, still owns the gym and not necessarily competitive lifting anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was also number two on the bench, 503, Brian Schwab. Nick Hatch, number three. 485 um, on the deadlift. You had TJ Horner again, mm-hmm. 606 deadlift. Brian Schwab, number two, 600. Mm-hmm. On top of the total is Brian Schwab, 1763. Wow. Nick Hatch, number two, 1724. And TJ Horner, 1703. And that man, it really drops off. Like number four, S. Lehman is 1499. Ooh. So, like, those three guys are 200 plus pounds ahead of the next wow. closest guy. So, it just shows. Uh, and then of note, uh, Priscilla Ribrick, who is a female, mm-hmm. is number, we'll say, 1415 with 1388, wow. single-ply female. Amy wow. Weisberger is number 13, 1400. So kind of shows, I would say, maybe the lack of depth um, in the uh, 140s. Gosh, looking down another female who we talked about in this issue, mm-hmm. Cara Bohegan is number 16 with a 534 deadlift. Wow. Um, Amy Weisberger, number nine squat, 565. Mm-hmm. That's number nine of the male list. Oh, um, just the list. I mean, yeah, yeah, just the list. I mean, yeah, we've talked before about how she was the first female to um, qualify under the men's standards yeah, for the WPL. That's, so. that's still just so amazing. 
So some interesting stuff there. And I'll, yeah. uh, since I finally think I got the video, who knows? Uh, <laughs> we've got the power shoe on the back of Powerlift USA, as always. Yes, yes. On the back of every. We're gonna find some random one that doesn't have it on the back there. I, and like, uh, yeah, well, that, we'd have to go back, like in the two thousands. It's gonna be like a misprint, and it's worth like ten grand. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> um, so uh, we thought we'd do something, you know, different this week. Uh, maybe not sit down quite as long with Bane with his injured arm. I wasn't sure if he was gonna be drugged up or whatever. Okay, and then found out it's kind of drugged up. Yeah. We've had a lot of a lot of content, a lot of big content over the last month. So I thought we'd do something a little bit lighter. Yeah. And just do an ask us anything, an AUA. Yeah. Uh, number two. So uh, I'll start it out. Yeah. Um, <coughs> since this question is probably more for me, you, you um, want me to ask it then, or? Sure. Yeah. So uh, from Kevin Michael, any tentative dates or schedule for the Illinois State Meet? This also goes in line with. Uh, Guillermo asking anything as far as a basic timeline for uh, return to APF meets? No. And yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a hard answer to give, mm-hmm. but I don't. I do, but I can't give them because mm-hmm. and I don't want to go into a political rant. We, do, we did have a request to go into what is bullshit, and I will do in that section alone, mm-hmm. I will go in, not a political, but really just a, a policy rant. Um, this is not a, a Democratic or Republican issue, but right now it is very... Suck. Yeah, I, that I don't disagree with. Um, <laughs> it's very difficult right now in the state of Illinois to plan anything. Um, yep. The phases... Well, I have, apparently not. I've shipped to Florida. Yeah, I have, uh, I have laid out... Uh, I, have, I have read through completely the Restore Illinois plan, which I'll have some more thoughts on later. Yep. Um, it, it is very difficult to plan events given that plan right now and the ambiguity right. around it and my opinion some uh i would say unrealistic expectations in order to um return back to a place where we can run a meet like the illinois state meet right we will be in a we'll be in a position where you can probably do the beginners meets before the state meet or um we may have to run the state meet in an altered fashion yeah. Um, where it maybe have to take the take a place over a couple of weekends, um, with you know multiple sessions in order to keep the the numbers in the facility lower. Right. So that may be what we have to do, but I don't right now. I've had multiple plans laid out multiple times, mm-hmm. and I've not released them because, and I'm glad I haven't, mm-hmm. because every time I think maybe I have a handle on it, something changes. Um, Goal, goalposts get moved. Yeah, the goalposts have been moved, and again, we don't want to go too much into a rant on this, nope. but mm-hmm. the original intent of the shelter-in-place was to flatten the curve and to make sure that hospital capacity doesn't get overwhelmed, which I understand and think made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't seem to be what the current plan laid out aim is, mm-hmm. and as my wife would say, the first step to solving a problem is to figure out what is the problem you're actually trying to solve. Yes. And what does the answer look like? Yeah. What are you actually trying to solve? And is that something that is solvable? Mm-hmm. Um, so long answer, no, I don't have any tentative dates. Um, that we can I, share. Yeah, that I can share. Well, sure, I have some tentative dates in my head. I have some ideas in my head. Right. But, and I, I have A, B, C, D, E plans. Um, I mean, if you know me, if you know one thing about me, man, is that I'm a planner. Amen. Uh, it's hard for me to plan right now. Um, if at all possible, we will get that as like first first step is gyms have to open because mm-hmm. m- most of the lifters that are going to do the only state meet are local from Illinois. Some are from out of state. Yeah, some Wisconsinites, some Iowans. Yeah, yeah, most are local. So I want the lifters to first have a chance to actually train for an extended period of time mm-hmm. before they can do a meet. Right now, 
Some have home gyms, but many have no place to train or limited training or right. not ideal training. Right. Um, you know, training in their basement or whatever. So the first step is gyms have to Unless reopen. Bob Merck, it probably doesn't work. Yeah, gyms have to reopen in some fashion for power lifters in order to be able to train. Mm-hmm. Then from there, we can look at, okay, what's 12 weeks from there, 10 weeks from there? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what are the restrictions on um, event sizes and gatherings and things like that um, before we can schedule? So I know that's a, that's a tough answer, and I know Kevin – Actually, my partner Howard answered you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, and I know I'm sure many people had that question, didn't ask it, but that is the uh, the long and short of that. But but I will say, once we have concrete plans of action from both the state and you guys, can't wait to get people in here to get them lifting and competing. I mean, yeah, we've got four meets already sold that we need to schedule. In right. addition to, I mean, I have people emailing me daily about other meets, about the summer bash and about the rise of the deadlift, and I can't give concrete answers and. I haven't opened up registration for those to the detriment of this company mm-hmm. um, because we could be having revenue come in from those meets if we wanted to schedule them or put out registration for them. But I haven't because I don't know when we can fit them in or if we can fit them in. Yep. I, I don't know. I would love to say we're going to have all the meets we normally have. At this point, uh, if we have all the meets we normally have, it's going to be in a very compressed schedule, and some of those meets will probably be smaller. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just uh, the long and short is we just – there's a lot of unknown. Yeah, there's a lot of unknown, and there's a lot of unknown in the world, and I wish I could give people some uh, some better answers. Um, Here is an answer that I can get 100%. There will be meets again. You will be on the platform again. Yep. 100%. I can guarantee that. I will put. I will stake everything uh, that I'm worth on that. Okay. Let's move on then. Mm-hmm. Todd from Aurora. Yeah. Lifter that you most admire had an impact on you and the sport one way or another that you don't know personally. Good I like question. That, that was a great question. So I'll, I'll answer first. Uh, two that I could think of, and I have a caveat for this. Dan Green, uh, one of the first lifters that I saw that just just made me say, holy shit. Because this is a guy who's just, he is built like a brick shit house. Uh, amazing lifter, great technique, uh, you know, great numbers. And, you know, had a good run for, for a while. You know, he hasn't lifted competitively in a few years. He's really been focused on other things. Uh, but really just, he was one of those first lifters that I was like, man, I just want to just get everything I can on this guy. The other is Eddie Cohen. Uh, obviously many people refer to him as the greatest power lifter of all time. Uh, so many different things that Ed has done, especially over probably the last four or five years, just giving back to the powerlifting community, either through tutorials or, uh, you know, webinars or, uh, guest speaking appearances, whatever. I mean, that's kind of how he makes his living at this point is doing that. The caveat to this though, is that. In today's age of social media and meets, trade shows, expos, stuff like the Arnold, you know, it's it's kind of rare that if you stick around the sport for a few years that you're not going to be able to somehow connect and meet these people. I think that's something almost of like a, I don't say a bygone era, but it's like you you can connect and make connections with, you know, very high profile lifters, uh, you know, through uh, the meet systems or, or through the ability to do meet and greets, that kind of thing. These folks are not necessarily on the pedestal that they were on or that, like, professional athletes are on by any stretch. Yeah, I would say, actually, that's been true probably as long as I've been around the sport. I think one of the things that was attractive about powerlifting as a, as a young guy was that, you know, through message boards and other edit meets, mm-hmm. um, if you actually meet somebody that, you know, almost all the lifters that I've ever come in contact with electronically or in person have always been, you know, very friendly, usually mm-hmm. – more friendly in person than sometimes online. But, you know, Ed Cohen used to comment on some of the message boards back in the day. Yeah. Um, 
and I know that most high, it was, I was told that most high profile lifters at least lurked on the old message boards to see what was going on. Yeah. Um, and occasionally would, uh, you know, would chime in and on the social media now, like, you know, you'll have a high profile lifter that'll, you know, if, if it's somebody you quasi know, they'll maybe comment on your video and give you a suggestion. And that's not something that's true of, you know, basketball or soccer. No, I mean, or, like LeBron James is not going to comment on your three pointer from your high school game. Probably not. It's more than likely not going to happen. But, I mean, I've had, you know, DM conversations with Laura Phelps, Donnie Thompson, with uh, with Bob Merck, with, I mean, heck, even Dave Hoff. Like, I mean, I've actually, you know, connected with some of the, the biggest lifters in the game. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's crazy to me. Or I go I go to the Monster Garage, and I see Crystal Tate, you know, probably the strongest woman on the planet right now, uh, training every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I come here, I see Jennifer, you know, Jennifer Gimmel, I see, you know, Trey Shoup, who, you know, a lot of folks don't know, but he's a, one of the strongest raw guys out there, you know, just sitting here training, hanging out. So that's what I think is really, really, really cool. Stone, what about you? Who's, uh, who's someone you, you don't know personally who's affected you? Yeah, so I maybe talked about this in our first episode, but mm-hmm. I learned about powerlifting through Dr. Squat's website, Fred Hatfield. Mm-hmm. He had a, an old school message board that I frequented, and it was an interesting combination of both strength conditioning professionals mm-hmm. as well as powerlifters. So it was kind of a cool message board for me as a, you know, eventually being an aspiring strength conditioning coach or mm-hmm. someone going into that field. And, you know, I, I actually had emailed back and forth and messaged back and forth a couple different times with Fred Hatfield on some questions when I was younger. And, uh, yeah, I'd say he had an impact on my training philosophy. Um, he had an impact on, you know, kind of how I approached the sport initially and getting into the sport in general. Um, d- never met him. Uh, sad that I wasn't able to. He was in the, I think by the time I really started getting around to meets, you know, he was kind of winding down and he was from the Northeast. He wasn't from Midwest. I know. Right. I think he at one point was in the Midwest, but uh, I, think, I think, yeah, I think he was like Minnesota or something. Or? Yeah. I, I know. I think he retired in Florida and he was in the Northeast and Connecticut when he was mm-hmm. still doing some work. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, that, that was for me, someone that had a real impact. Dr. Squat, Fred Hatfield, I mm-hmm. think one of the first guys to squat a thousand and, you know, one of those big prolific lifters from those mid eighties, Hawaii record breakers meets. For sure. For sure. So George from Lombard, uh, George, not on the gram. If you could completely remove a lift out of a meet and replace it with another exercise, what would you remove and what would you add? No ollie lifts. Yeah, a lot of caveats here, Georgie. Yeah, geez, man. So Eric, what would you do? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. You, you kind of make fun of this. But, I mean, but if I was going to change something, um, <laughs> I guess I would replace the bench with an overhead press. I mean, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be powerlifting, and I wouldn't want to do this, but, mm-hmm. you know. It sounds like starting strength to me. Yeah, I mean, actually, I've talked about it a couple times mm-hmm. where I think it would be interesting when I was thinking about different events to run in this new space. Um, I thought it would be interesting to run what another organization called strength lifting, which is basically squat, overhead press, deadlift, mm-hmm. raw, and, uh, you know, maybe attract more CrossFitters slash you know, even starting strength people. Um, they have their own organization called the, like, the American Strength Lifting Federation, and I don't like some of their rules. Like they, we, we've talked about this in the rip-up. So they do, a, they do a way out. I don't think they allow sumo deadlifting. They don't have commands, which, of course, comes yeah. from Rip's rant. Um, but I like the idea of squat, overhead press, deadlift, especially because, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I love to bench. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great exercise. But, you know, the other two lifts are, you know, standing with, your bar, with the bar in your hands and your feet on the ground. And, you know, I think it would be interesting to have a, you know, a slightly different variation of powerlifting with an overhead press. Interesting. Uh, I actually would replace the deadlift with some type of like static hold. 
I don't know why I just, I've always liked the static holes in like strongman uh, or possibly a weighted pull-up. I just always find those interesting as well. Um, I think actually like in practice that would be damn near impossible. Uh, but yeah, I, I've always thought that uh, a static hold would be really cool. Yeah, I've had some talks uh, with my old boss, James DeNasso, mm-hmm. um, a couple different times about doing some kind of unique event. He's he's an old Olympic lifting promoter, and we've talked about, you know, could we do a, a multi-event, maybe multi-day event, where you had some of the power lifts, some of the Olympic lifts, throw something different in like a weighted pull-up. Um, he had ran something like that. He called it like, you know, the Superman meet where he had power lifters and Olympic lifters mm-hmm. do a, a five-total thing. Um, which I thought was pretty interesting. So, uh, work hard underscore live free underscore. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with him, but must follow us on the gram. Yeah. He's in a good question. What are your thoughts on allowing independent training facilities to reopen under certain guidelines to be followed? And he mentions Joe Sullivan in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually after I wrote this question out, I saw that Ohio has now said on May 26th, I want to say that mm-hmm. they are going to open independent gyms in Ohio um, mm-hmm. with certain guidelines. They haven't laid those out yet. I would like to to find out exactly what those guidelines are. Um, yeah, for I, sure. I know there was a lawsuit. Um, I know that he and other independent gyms in Ohio formed a coalition. Um, there's been something similar that's gone on in Michigan mm-hmm. um, with uh, Rochester Performance Gym and a couple other gyms I know that have formed some kind of coalition of independent gyms. So it seen, sounds like there's almost like a national chapter that's starting to spread. I think it's Lift is the, the name of it. That's the uh, one from Michigan, I believe. Okay. But maybe maybe that's connected with the one in Ohio. I don't know. I would be happy to maybe get involved in something with that. So, Ben, you can maybe give your thoughts as well. Probably mm-hmm. more applies to me since I'm the one running the gym here. But Oh, I have thoughts. Okay, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> Since my wife works at a commercial gym, I have many, many thoughts. Okay. Um, my thoughts are that uh, the way that businesses should be open shouldn't be just blanketly, here's the types of business should be open. It should be based on what the gu- what the safety guidelines are. Mm-hmm. So if the safety guidelines are you have to be able to maintain you know, six feet of distance, you have to be able to clean whatever it is people are touching, mm-hmm. you have to allow, you can only allow a certain number of people per square foot of your facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that should be the standard that should be used, not, you know, hey, uh, Walmart, Home Depot are great. You can buy whatever you want there. You can buy clothes. You can buy... But gym, gym's hardware and... Right, you know, but a, a clothing store, no. A gym, no. One person at a time, hair salon, no. Mm. I realize there's some things there when you're working on somebody's face with hair, nails, and salon and stuff like that. But, I mean, they, they literally have to be licensed by the state right. to, to, you know, to take care of some of those sanitation issues. So uh, my opinion is, yes, that, ind- that independent gyms should be the first ones to reopen. Um, I think we could be more independent gyms and we're not really a small gym, but we're a small membership gym mm-hmm. and we have a lot of space. So if you told us, Hey, you know, shit, we can have, if you told us we can have one person per thousand square feet, which is a lot of space for one person. Yeah. A lot of space. We could have 20 people in here for just, you know, training and, mm-hmm. uh, which, to be fair. personal training and just gym training. Most of the time we would be able to keep without any restrictions. Yeah. Cause we, we don't have more than 20 people in here hardly ever. No, and we could easily do some kind of, you know, method of... Time system. Or yeah, so, yeah, something could be figured out. So mm-hmm. I, I like the work done by Joe, actually. Uh, Bain and I mentioned, you know, is that somebody that would be interesting to, to interview and chat about what kind of work he did? Yeah. Um, I know, I think he even testified he in, in front of their legislature. Did, yeah. um, so it would be interesting to hear. Um, there's some people in Michigan doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I would say yes as the short answer. Yeah, and my my feeling is yes on independent training facilities. I also feel that there is a, a there's a desperate need in all this for personal connection and specifically personal connection through fitness. So my wife and I have very different views on fitness because we've both chosen different paths. I have chosen the path of extreme strength, whereas she chooses a more, I would say, traditional path where she teaches group fitness, she does a little personal training. Uh, her preference for competition is like Tough Mudders and adventure races. That's really what she enjoys. But at the end of the day, both of us have this ideal of being fit and being healthy and showing our kids this type of lifestyle. And so I feel it's very important that there is not just guidelines for independent training facilities, but then also for large big box gyms. And then the one I I keep coming back to is places like the YMCA. (coughs) The YMCA is a part of our culture that it it did not start out as a gym per se. I mean, this is a a mission and a a – outreach to the community uh, to give people a place to stay, to eat. Uh, it was an, an area for young men to go where they did, had nowhere else to go. And and not one, really done for profit either, by the way. It, it's not. It's a nonprofit. And so they actually were not eligible for any of the government assistance. Ugh. And, so, you know, that is a thing that is, you know, to me, incredibly important that you get those reopened in a manner that – now, here's the thing. You're not going to have – because I've been to the Y. I've been there for, for you know – over a decade since we've been going to the Ladoff YMCA in Des Plaines. You're not going to get members there that are going to clean off equipment. They're just not. You have old guys that sit around naked, you know, with their balls on the benches. They're not going to clean the equipment off. So to me, what it would be is you start off with virtual classes where the instructors are able to be in the gym and the YMCA, they have their Wi-Fi. They're able to broadcast, you know, via their website, whatever, whether it's, you know, my wife or her, you know, her teammates that are the teachers, and allow people to start to reconnect through fitness that way. So I do believe that there is not just for independent facilities, but the big boxes have to have something as well. I agree with you that it shouldn't just be, oh, well, gyms are a category, barbershop. Like, there needs to be some overall categories of this. But I think that we need to make a concentration on gyms because the the mental strain that is going on, that, that's why alcohol sales have spiked, you know, uh, is because the mental strain that people are dealing with right now is so great because there are no outlets. And I'm sorry, just taking a walk doesn't cut it. It just doesn't. Can I go off on a rant about that? Tear it up. And we've not even got to what is bullshit yet. Nope. But it really bugs the shit out of me when I when it's mentioned, hey, when, you, you know, somebody asked Pritzker about when are you going to open gyms, and the, all the comments are, why do you need the gym? You can work out at home. Go take a walk. Go run. You know what? Fuck you. Thank you. Um, I've spent basically... Say it again. Say it again. Yeah, fuck you. Yes. I've spent my entire professional career uh, working on being able to open a gym. You're right. You can you can achieve fitness in a... You can have a home gym. You, you can you run. You don't need the gym, but I right. fucking want it. Right. It's not... It, it's, it doesn't matter what you want. It matters what business owners have put their livelihood on the line to do. Mm-hmm. You know what? You also don't need fast food restaurants. Hey, you know what? You also don't need restaurants. We nope. don't need those. You can just cook stove. You can just cook at home. You know what? You don't need the grocery store. Nope. Just grow your own food in your in your garden. Yeah, I can stick a fucking cow in my garage. <laughs> right. So don't tell me you can. No, granted, are gyms the number one priority of opening? No. No, I get it. I, I get it that in a, in a temporary shelter in place, I understand why, quote, non-essential businesses maybe need to be temporarily closed. Um, but... When we start reopening businesses, please don't make the comment that, well, well you, can just, you can just go outside and, you know, you can get workouts on YouTube. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Fuck you. 
Um, I've spent my entire professional career building this business, and it doesn't really matter what you want. It matters what. That's why you have capitalism and not socialism here in exactly. this country. The market dictates what is available in the marketplace. So, and if, if, and if you don't want to have a gym, then don't fucking go to one. Right, and, many, and if nobody went to the gym, none of them would be open, and we wouldn't have to worry about it. Exactly. So, sorry, rant over. No, that although is we got another rant coming up. No, next. that is a hundred percent an okay one, and we we're gonna re bring it back up here in a, in a second. But no, I a hundred percent agree with that part, though. That you know, yes, you don't need gyms, but like I said, for for fuck's sake, like it's this is people's mental health. In your case, your livelihood. It's how you feed your family. And if the entire purpose of this uh, shelter in place was health, was saving people, uh, more people die per year from obesity than COVID-19. Now, that obviously obesity isn't uh, isn't a communicable disease. You can't spread obesity per se. But at the end of the day, if we're trying to tell butters fucking spread over bread, (laughs) (laughs) but if we're trying to promote health, um, you know, there's a disconnect when fast food restaurants are open, when smoke shops are open, when marijuana dispensaries are open, and when liquor stores are opening. And my I'm, gym, I'm okay with those. And my, and I don't have any problem with any of them. <laughs> I, I don't want any of them to close. But no. when my gym can't be even be open for one person training a one-on-one training session, and some fucking at a, Karen at a time, turn you in. Right. I, I can't even train one person at a time in a giant twenty thousand square foot facility. You know, it's not about health at that point. Sorry. No. Control. Okay. Anyway, we we can go on for a long time. Right, on that, right. But we'll continue. Yeah. Uh, H lifts forty five. He needs a big. And we kind of we kind of did the wind up here just before this. Uh, <laughs> what is bullshit rant on this one, please? Now, H he actually reached out to us. He is is uh, from the UK, uh-huh. uh, so we appreciate all of our UK listeners. Uh, yeah. As we see from the analytics, two percent of our listeners are from the UK. <laughs> so, dude, so for real, keep pushing us because. One, I just I love the UK. We had a blast when we went over there. I would uh, love to go again if we could ever internationally travel. Exactly, and and I fully plan to or Ireland for that matter. Yeah, fully plan to as long as body power goes on. You know, AWPC World sounds like it's going to be you know the December weekend before or November. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's, it's going to be in December. Sounds like sounds like that's what everybody voted for was okay. Uh, first I haven't heard that, but sure. Uh, which unfortunately is the same week as the women's program, so I think we're busy. Uh, yeah, stinks, but still want to go. Uh, so please push us out there because the more listenership we get out there, then it gives us more reason to make the make the trip. So, AH lives forty five. Uh, we need a big what is bullshit. You want to start? You want me to? Bane, what is bullshit? Understand this: the, there's a virus out there. I, I don't doubt that. I'm not going to say that the coronavirus, COVID nineteen. That is fake. The coronavirus is very real. We know that. It's on the side of the, the bleach wipes that it kills coronavirus. COVID-19 is real. I know this. I 100% know because I have friends in the medical field. They have seen firsthand that COVID-19 is real. <laughs> the, the fear-mongering on both sides that has gone on is fucking bullshit. Everyone's right. Everyone's wrong. Everyone's left. Everyone's up. It's fucking bullshit. It is unbelievable to me that one, American citizens laid down their fucking rights to leave their house because of somebody who ate a fucking bat in China. It is crazy to me. It is bullshit to me that governors have essentially become dictators almost everywhere, especially the one we fucking live in, because they now realize they have control. 
the fear-mongering is fucking bullshit. I 100% believe that COVID is real, that it's that it's transmutable, whatever the fuck the term is. So you can see I'm a little angry right now. Uh, can't be this strong. is the Strength so, Anger Podcast. Yeah, I can't be all. strong right now, so I'm going to fucking be angry. Stop living in fear. Run shit through a brain cell. Ask the damn question. Don't just live terrified. And it just, it infuriates me. Every day, I see it. That Both sides. There's no, the stay-at-home is bullshit. No, some people do need to stay home. And guess what? A lot of us need to get out of the damn house, and they need to go get America working again, get the fucking economy working again, so that when those folks are in a safe place, and I'm not making fun of it, I mean, there are folks that legitimately are more susceptible to this, and they can really suffer. I don't doubt that. But let those of us that are willing to take the risk make America ready for you, goddammit. This fucking fear-mongering has to stop. This is bullshit. Still, what's bullshit? Um, yeah, I, I made the comment. I've been, tr- we've been trying, we replaced what is bullshit with what is great because there's so much negativity in the world and right now. But since you asked, <laughs> since you asked, um, restore Illinois is bullshit. Oh my God. And again, I'm, this is not a political Democrat right left. I think there's been mistakes made by everybody, the, by the federal government. There's been mistakes being made by the state government. My wife would always try to say, try to to see that people generally have um, not malintent. You know, they, they have good intentions with what they're trying to do. Um, I want to believe that. I would love to believe that with our governor. I really would. Um, and, and maybe he does have good intent. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in his head. He had good intent. He had a good intent to go to fucking Florida last weekend. What I can tell you <laughs> is that from a public policy perspective, Restore Illinois is a poor plan. It is. And, and it, bullshit and and here's and i'm gonna lay out why i'm not just gonna say it's bullshit because because i don't like pritzker because i don't like the, the democrats or because the republicans are great or get them trump mega okay get them the cdc guidelines are laying out that we should have a 14 day period of decreasing cases all this and uh world health organization also says 14 days. yeah world health organization same group that said coronavirus couldn't be transferred to humans at one point totally hey everybody shame. everybody makes mistakes they do but we're saying CDC and the World Health Organization are both in line right now. That's right, crazy. Right. Uh, instead of using the instead of using those guidelines, instead of using the federal guidelines why, that why not both that the state of <laughs> Illinois was crying that they had no input from the federal government, um, Illinois decided they unilaterally have their own models, their own modelers, um, without any transfer from America with with any without any transparency on what the models are, how they're come up with. We don't have time. Um, Instead of using 14 days for decreasing cases, they want 28 days. Um, instead of maybe doing things, I don't know, county by county, because South Illinois is nothing like Chicago. He did lay out some regions, but, um, you know, us and the Collar counties are, you know, right in line with Chicago. Uh, and we talked at the beginning about in order to solve a problem, you have to first evaluate what is the problem we're trying to solve. When we, when we started this pandemic, the problem we're trying to solve was flattening the curve and making sure that hospital capacity, you know, didn't get out of whack. I, I totally the, get that. The, the hospital system in America was Could not handle overwhelmed. It. Right. That we didn't run out of ventilators. We didn't run out of ICU beds. We didn't run out of doctors. At this point, 
Medical facilities are furloughing hospital employees. They're furloughing. They're, they're la- hospitals are closing down. Medical we, facilities are closing down. We have possibly 18, going bankrupt. We have eighteen percent of available beds and ICUs are available in Cook County right now, and sixty-four percent of ventilators as of Monday night. Right. And uh, instead of looking at that goal, our government in Illinois has now said that we want to eradicate the disease and that we can't fully restore our economy until we have either, quote, a virus or a, quote, very effective treatment. Who gets to determine what a very effective treatment is? I don't know. I guess whoever the advisors of our governor are. That, to me, is an untenable position to state that that's the only way we're going to allow gatherings of over 50 people. That's the only way we're going to reopen our economy fully and allow all businesses to run at full capacity. I'm not asking us to open up Soldier Field for 60,000 people tomorrow, but let's lay out a sensible plan that uses the CDC guidelines to slowly reopen the economy. It is unreasonable to eradicate a virus. Influenza has been around who knows how long we've had a 2000 years we've been right exactly maybe longer we've had a flu virus for 80 years and still tens of thousands of people die from influenza every year the common cold has been around since mankind the common cold still can't the common cold which in most cases is probably some version of the coronavirus any upper respiratory infection is probably a version of the coronavirus no it's not covid19 that is it that is a unique strain which appears to be novel yeah, it's a novel virus. But Restore Illinois is a bullshit plan. Um, I hope and I pray and I would say if you would like to see meat sooner than later, contact your local county officials. Contact say your it local, again. Contact your local county officials. Contact your local municipal officials. Uh, contact your state reps um, for the Illinois State Senate and the Illinois State House of Representatives. I would say contact the go- the governor. I'm not sure it's going to do any good. I, I guess it, it couldn't do any harm for someone to contact Does your phone him. dial down to Florida? Or? <laughs> so it's a poor plan. Um, look at what other states are doing, um, even nearby other Midwest states that have a definitive timeline for reopening, at least by the end of the summer. Instead of Illinois, we have the plausibility that some experts have said in looking at the plan, we would, we would not— fucking we would not reopen the economy fully at the very earliest under the current plan until 2021, which, uh, in my opinion, um, would completely wreck the economy of the state, even more so than is already the case. Okay, let's move on from that, Bane. <laughs> that is bullshit. Uh, Jimmy DeBeast, 505, says, awesome hat in response to my making equipped lifting great again hat. Stone. Mega. Correct. Uh, and I'll, I'll do another one here since that was a very short one. The Nikita James up, says, what are some of the craziest things you've seen in your powerlifting career? Oh, Injuries, we got, we got some good ones. accidents, amazing lifts, all of it. Oh, we got some good ones. Ben, you can start this out. I will not name this lifter. Many people, I, people here in Illinois know who this oh, person I, is. Oh, I didn't even think about this one. Yeah, well, you know exactly who this oh, is. Oh, yeah. There is an individual who has competed at many APF and AAPF meets and WPC and AWPC meets who up until what about a year or two, two years ago when a video of this got out on the internet hilarious of this individual peeing into their milk jug used for water and then drinking it in the warm-up room 
to be fair, that is the second part is unconfirmed. The first part is confirmed. Yes. First part is confirmed. The video does confirm it. But and the, somebody asked him about it at one point, and he said because he didn't want to lose his spot yeah. for wrapping his knees for the warm-up room. Correct. I, I just... It's been happening for years, supposedly. I, I heard about it, heard about it, heard about it, and then thought I saw it at AAPF Nationals 2017 here in, in, in Lombard. And then the video dropped on the interwebs, and I just, I just can't. I just, I just could not. I'm not going to uh, steal your thunder with the second one because I think it's a, it's a great one. Um, the last one, though, and this is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen just because of everything that went into it, all the things that ran up to this. So Super Finals last year in St. Charles – the women's top three was really very hotly contested. Uh, and, and, you know, once Crystal Tate bombed out, which, you know, for me was just heartbreaking for a lot of people it was because, I mean, this she was chasing history. She was going to do some big things. You know, she had a, the, the was the largest pound-for-pound pound squat ever uh, with that 813 to 198. Amazing, amazing athlete. And she bombs on the bench. And so really at that point, the WPO was up for grabs. And... With her last pull, and this is a pull for her life, because if you watch the, this deadlift, Tara Weber gives absolutely 101% on this. This is her max deadlift. If a butterfly hits that bar, she's going down with it. And she pulls it off for the win. I can't remember exactly what she won by, but it was just the, the finest of, of margins by the end of it. Uh, but just seeing that no quick, because there were a couple times that bar definitely stopped on the way up. And and she just kept pulling, and that was one of the just the most amazing things I have ever seen. No doubt. Um, I think we both would agree that seeing David Kirshen's last deadlift at the semifinals. Oh, the feelings. Um, we've talked about that one before, but still on the top list. Oh, uh, yeah. I've got some pretty good ones because I've obviously been around a while. Yep. Actually, one I just you reminded me of with the peeing in the bottle. <laughs> um, two actually that you reminded me of of crazy things I've seen at meets. Uh, Putt Houston, we've talked about a couple different times yeah. before. Um, he used to dip tampons in ammonia and stick it up his nose. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> you just uh, Guillermo Blanco, you could maybe ask him about that. Um, used to see tampons sticking out of his nose. Yeah. Um, another guy from New York, Dyke Naughton, mm-hmm. used to put uh, – what are the what are the, the rectangle batteries? Are those D batteries? Uh, those – no, the rectangle ones are 9-volt. Uh, 9-volt, okay. He used NV. to put – yeah, he used to put 9-volt batteries in his mouth with lemon juice to give himself a, a little jolt before he'd go up on the platform. You can't fix stupid, everybody. <laughs> Actually, one of the other crazy things I've seen at a meet was at the XBC, um, and I'm spacing her name right now, I was seeing the young lady who actually fractured her humerus during the bench. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen, and I will never, ever yeah. forget that sound. That's uh, not a good sound, and no, that brings me not. to my next one. Yeah. Uh, at a meet at one of Bill Carpenter's meets, or at a, at one of Bill Carpenter's meets, excuse me, Mike Brown, I believe his name. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what recollection is, but I do remember him. This uh, this possibly would have been at the meet we talked about in 05. I don't remember. It was mm-hmm. one of those Carpenter meets in the mid-2000s. Um, a quit bencher, benching something big, broke his forearm, so mm-hmm. broke the... Uh, uh, humorous, no, not the humorous, no, that's the, uh, the, the radius, and the radius ulna, and ulna right? yeah. broke his radius and ulna. Basically his arm was at a 90 degree angle. Mm. It sounded like if you've ever heard a bench shirt rip, that's what it sounded like. And that's actually what I thought happened was that I thought his bench shirt ripped, but then I saw his arm bent back at a 90 degree angle. Um, Bill Carpenter looked green. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do we do? And I'm like, we call 911 yeah. Yeah. immediately. It's Sean Corneo, same thing when he, uh, when he had the weight fall in his hand. Yeah, that was one of the freakiest things. Jackie almost threw up. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, I think that would have been a later meet because Jackie was announcing at that meet. Okay. Um, seeing Becca Swanson at the second summer bash in 05 yeah. bench, I, I looked back on open powerlifting. This was her second 500-pound bench. She had benched 501, mm-hmm. and then at the summer bash in 05, she benched 507, which was an all-time world record at the time. Wow. She went on to bench 600 later in her career. Regardless of weight class, all-time women's world record. Yep. Wow. Yep. Incredible. Uh, I saw Gary Frank fall back with a big squat at mm-hmm. the 2007 APF Seniors. He was injured. The back spotter was injured. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, one of the scariest things we've ever seen, um, I think the back spotter actually tore a bicep. Jesus. And he spotted a lot of APF meets. Gary was Sucks, hurt. Sucks, by the way. Yeah, Gary was hurt. It was bad. Yeah. Um, this is before the days of safety chains were even available. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been a good one. Um, the 2000, we'll say 8, 2009 Illinois State Meet mm-hmm. that we ran at Velocity, mm-hmm. um, one of the first state meets I ran, um, we saw Jose Garcia, local guy, mm-hmm. squat 1100 like it was nothing. I mean, yeah. it looked easy. It was high, and it was high. He was called high. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, I mean, he moved it like it was nothing. Just manhandled it. Manhandled. It's the, I mean, the fastest at that time I'd ever seen 1100 move mm-hmm. until I yeah. saw... Dave Hoff at the 2018 WPO. Um, yeah. One of the most impressive performances I've ever seen overall at a meet. Just um, honestly in sports. I mean, I've seen Dave Hoff lift a couple other times, but just the pace of that meet, um, the effortlessness of his lifts. All seven of them. Like, it, it was as, as, as scripted as you could get. <laughs> I mean, everything just looked impressive. We talked about it last week with Michael Fahey, how, I mean, the squat looked good depth-wise. The bench is just – I mean, I, he may have missed a, or skipped a bench or skipped a – I think he – I know he skipped a deadlift. Yeah, no, he, did, he passed on his second or third uh, squat. Oh, and his third deadlift. Third deadlift and took all three benches. Okay, yeah. I mean, just unbelievable. So, yeah. to me, that was the best individual performance all three lifts I've ever seen um, in a meet, and it just especially given the pace of that meet and the amount of weight he moves. Um, and everything going on, the all, all the other factors. Yeah, unbelievable. There, there's actually one other one as we're talking through this that is one of the most impressive feats I've ever seen, and it, it doesn't seem like it until you know the cold context. Uh, Bill Lee, I th- want to say it was the Raw Challenge, uh, one of the meets later last year, uh, total 2,000.7. And you hear that, a 2,000-pound total for a Raw guy, awesome, incredible. And if you don't know who Bill is, he's an amazing lifter. He trains at the Monster Garage, also trains up at uh, Atlas, up in Kenosha. Bill had an accident while going for, I want to say his first 2,100-pound total on a squat where he <coughs> tore something in his knee. He tore his tricep. Uh, just a horrible, horrible accident. And it took him five years. Basically, he put on 0.7 pounds to his total in five years in an accident that should have killed him but definitely should have killed his powerlifting career. Yeah, jeez. I've, I've seen... The accident. He's, I can't watch those kind of videos. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's really, really scary. But then just to know Bill, know what kind of man he is, and then to watch what kind of athlete he is and see the dedication to overcome all of that and add that point seven to his total uh, after five years, I just think that's just – it's incredible. It's so amazing. Uh, and I think he's one of those guys that once this is all over, if you, if you follow raw lifting, Bill's one of those ones you just want to follow, you just want to cheer for him. Anyway. You can ask the next one, Bane. What is <laughs> God? This one's fun. From Stacy forty four eleven. Worst training slash meat advice you have 
heard or read someone give hashtag you're not my coach <laughs> which there's a specific story she's talking about that <laughs> um i read an article and this is only top of mind because i read it recently a guy posted that yeah. uh you should be able to do a body weight pull-up before deadlifting, which is... I feel personally insulted. One of the more asinine things I've ever read, and his rationale... Which, which is frustrating, because the rest of the article is good. Yeah, I, the article was fine. It's just like, well, if he would have said, hey, you know, you need strong lats in order to be able to control the bar and deadlift, I'm with you. But yeah. being able to do a body weight, like, that'd be like saying, like, you know, super heavyweight guys, like... Could Andy Bolton have done a, a bodyweight pull-up when he deadlifted 1,000? Like, maybe he could have. He's a super Possibly, strong guy, yeah. but he was like 380 pounds. There's not, there's not most 300-pounders can do a pull-up. Like, did Andy Bolton have a strong upper back, and could he probably pull down the entire stack on a lat pull-down? Yes. But it's just asinine advice. And it's like, where did that come from? Was there any kind of, like, research study or, you know, personal empirical evidence that you have. No, just dumb. Um, as far as, like, training advice, um, the one that always we, we talk about here at the gym where, you know, you've got the, the training partners that will tell people, oh, you know, you know you're right there. You're, <laughs> you're right there on depth. You'll be, it'll be there on meet day. It, it, don't worry. It'll be there on meet day. That's just bad advice. Um, not to say that's, that – That's when you automatically know you're Not right. to say that every squat in training needs to be, like, balls deep for it to count like training is training mm -hmm. but you do need good training partners that tell you whether you're high or deep enough or not yeah um you don't want training partners that bullshit you because i've seen it at meets before where you know, there'll be a certain you know training group that like they all train high and they all tell each other it looks great and then they go to a meet where the judging is you know not easy mm -hmm. and all of a sudden a bunch of them miss their opening squats like oh you know the judging was bullshit it's like I, well i got the lift but the judge didn't give it to me <laughs> so that's probably the worst ones uh i've yeah, heard and that, there's probably more but that's the one that one was top of mind and then uh the depth one i always laugh at sure uh, oh i i should add on to that uh the people that say there's, there's different philosophies on this i know dave hoff says that he rarely touches in his bench shirt in training. That's right. also Dave Hoff. But the people that do one, two board PRs all the time and never touch their chest in their bench shirt, eh, I'd say you, know, I, you can make an argument why it makes sense to do that you know, for training purposes. But if you're not super experienced with your bench shirt, which Dave Hoff obviously very much is, Correct. if you're not experienced with your bench shirt, at some point you got to learn what it feels like to get that last half inch in touch. Um, it's not just going to, quote, be there meet day. It's a little extra pressure with that exchange, right? Yep. <laughs> Sorry. That was an easy setup. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said? There you go. Uh, probably the worst I've ever heard is, is one cutting weight for every meat, so you're used to it when you're an elite. Wait, wait what? <laughs> Why would I do that? Uh, the other one is heavier, and I always read this as fatter equals stronger. Now, I know that's ironic when I say that. <laughs> But that's not necessarily the case. Yes, you can potentially push more weight, but that doesn't mean you're pound for pound going to actually be stronger. Uh, I think sometimes people use that as an excuse to just eat crappy and be fat. Don't judge me, monkey. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? I, there is, I, and I agree with you 100% on not cutting weight at every meat. However, there is something about, like, when you don't have to cut weight for a meat, it's like you almost don't know what to do the week of the meat. Sometimes, yeah. It's like you don't know what to do. And, like, like I'm not suffering. With the there's something to, like, having something to focus on in that meat week. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I agree. I, I think you should only cut weight if there's a specific reason to do so. If you're trying to break a record or qualify and or, not your or it's a big meet. record, by the way. Right, like or it's a big meet, it, you know, because it, it does take a physical toll on you. Whenever mm -hmm. Every time you cut weight, it, it, and it, 
I think there is a point of diminishing returns where like a certain point, your body's just going to be like, no, right. I'm not going to let you do that anymore. Um, as a female, it could mess up your menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't cut weight. Actually, I would recommend not cutting weight that much in general. Um, so yeah, I would say the, the, there are those that can, and I don't, I'm not knocking those that can. My personal experience is I have chosen I will no longer cut weight from this. And it also depends on what you mean by cut weight. If it means like, hey, you're 278 mm -hmm. and it's like I'm going to cut down to 275. Well, Bane can just take a crap and, you know, skip dinner the night before the weigh and make 275. Ooh, careful there, son. Early <laughs> dinner. Early dinner. If you're talking 10 plus pounds or, you know, like 5% of your body weight, now you're going to have to do that, more and, and, more extraordinary means. And that's what I'm talking about, like true yeah. cutting weight where it's, right. you know, you're the you're sitting there with a cup and you're, you know, chewing gum and spitting into the cup to get that last couple of, you know, grams out of you. Yep, yep. Um, how do you find the balance between your family's careers and lifting? And how long did it take for you to find the balance? That's um, a great question, by the way. It's a great question, and I don't know that I have the greatest answer for this. Mm -hmm. um, Stacy asked, who's a, a new mother. Congratulations, mm -hmm. Stacy. He's adorable. He's so cute. And I think the quarantine for her has probably been like, I don't want to say it's been positive because nobody wants to have to be staying at home all the time, mm -hmm. but it's allowed her to probably spend more time at home with her little one and her husband, which it, has probably it, been really nice. It's like an extended maternity leave, didn't it? Yeah. I don't know that she's going to go back to work anyways. Yeah, but I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Right. But... Um, she's probably thinking about like, Hey, once I want to get back into lifting and maybe I want to get back working, you know, how do you balance all that? Mm -hmm. Um, it, for me, there isn't much else other than family lifting and the gym mm -hmm. and, and my business. Right. So it is a struggle. And even though my wife and I met powerlifting and she power lifts and she helps us with meets, we still have fights about it. I shouldn't say fights, disagreements about mm -hmm. it. Um, it is a struggle to get everything in. Um, there's going to become a time in my life, just like with Bane, where it's like, you know, if you have a kid in an extracurricular activity, like if Jacob plays football in high mm -hmm. school, I don't know if he will, and I'm not saying he should. Yeah. Let's, example. But sure, if he plays football, like, are we still going to bench on Friday nights? Like, yeah, probably not. I'll, at right. least for me, I'll probably say, well, my son's all going to play football in high school for four years maximum. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go watch his you know, high school football game on Friday nights if yeah. he's playing then, and I'll bench another night. Um, so... For me, it just becomes a matter of prioritizing what is the most important to you mm -hmm. and having a schedule um, and then making time from there for what's important, like making family time, mm -hmm. um, you know, working around Jackie and I's work schedules. And, you know, if you know our Team Stone schedule here, it's basically was based around, you know, the non-busy times for personal training. That's why we train on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. That's why we used to train on Saturday afternoons. That's why we train on Friday nights mm -hmm. for our big lifts so that, you know, we can work around some of those things. Right. So for me, and you know, it's a, it's a little unique even in your, compared to your situation, Eric, is, you know, what I've got, I've got older kids. You know, all my kids are in double digits. I have two teenagers. Uh, we have a large family. So there is still a lot to juggle, right? And I think what it just comes down to is, you know, Nick and I are, we are very selfish with our time. And when I, what I mean by that is, you know, certain days just stuff doesn't change. Or if it does, we have to completely rearrange the schedule. Like I used to always squat on Saturdays. I don't do that anymore. So now Saturday is a day of errands, a day of chores, a day of things to basically catch up from the week. Um, you know, I am very much like you, Eric, I'm a planner. And so we have we have a big we have a big calendar that we have in our house. We've got a you know Google Shared calendar where we can you know, add things in so we have it at our fingertips. 
Uh, but the biggest thing is that Nick and I make sure that we are selfish about a couple of things. That is uh, the certain days when we have training, certain days we have family meals, and then we are incredibly selfish when it comes to our time away from everything. And what I mean by that is every even year, now this year may be the exception, uh, Nick and I take a vacation together, just her and I. Uh, my kids go with you know the grandparents, you know, we, you know however that's going to work. And Nick and I take time where it's just us because we did not until our five-year anniversary, we never took a vacation ever. We didn't have the money, we didn't have the time, we didn't have any of that mess. That week, and you guys also didn't have a relationship without kids for very long. Uh, yeah, you know, five months basically. <laughs> yeah, right. And Jack and I had five years before we started having kids, so we right. had our we had our. Uh, our living single time. Right. You know, we just, we never had that. And so, but that rejuvenated so many things about our marriage, our, our life. And, and so like, okay, we, we need to do this the next year. We took the kids with us back to uh, my home area, this Northern Virginia, DC, that kind of stuff. And the kids loved it. Like they're all history nerds. And so they really enjoyed it. And the reason I talk about that is like, okay, so now we have this kind of alternating, like that was a big family vacation. We knew what the cost was. It was a lot, you know, 10 days in a hotel with six, Jeez. six of us. It was a lot. But it was worth that investment, just like it was when we went down to Florida last year. That was worth that investment of, you know, my points, my miles, all the stuff that I accumulate through all this travel for work. Because we're sitting down there in Florida and we're going to we're taking, you know, amusement park rides and riding around with Julian and Jesse, you know, as they're doing their thing, you know, coming over from England. I'm like, this this is what we needed. We disconnect, we just enjoy ourselves, and the last thing I worry about is the hustle and bustle of logistics and lifting and all that. And I'm sure your kids will remember that family vacation for their whole life because they, they they're all at the age where they can remember it. Exactly. And they still talk about our trip to D.C. They talk, And now we're all talking about, hey, what's what's the next one? Because you know, next yeah. year technically is a family trip and it's the last trip that uh, Austin's in high school. Yeah. No, I, I remember distinctly the last family vacation we did. And I don't know if it was my, when my sister was graduating from college. It was Plausibly when she was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember that last family vacation where the five of us, yeah. we drove, like we basically did like a cross-country trip. We first drove and stopped in Topeka, Kansas to visit some family. Mm-hmm. Then we drove to Colorado and visited some family and did some touristy stuff. And then we drove down to New Mexico and visited family there. And after that, the next summer, my or maybe even that summer, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember the exact of the timeline, but soon thereafter, my sister went off, got married right after college, Moved to Texas. Sure, we still connect as a family, but you know she has her own family. I have my own yeah, family. Exactly. I, I remember that last family vacation when we were all just the kids and parents. Yeah, and so we we know that that vacation is coming. It may not be next year, but it but it could be. And so we're you know starting to look at that and what are we going to do? So so all that I, I talk about all that for for a reason. You've got to create some milestones for for yourselves because just like with you know lifting and so like if you don't have those goals and those things set out. You just you just running, you know, running to run basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that said, I love the platform. I love lifting. I love the powerlifting community. I love all this. At the end of the day, though, the five people that share a home with me are by far the most important thing. It's more important than any lift. More important than any paycheck. And so, always, if I have to suddenly make a priority decision, the priority is always them. Yeah, I agree. And and so that and and I will say this to to you know. Specifically to Stacy, because I had this conversation with Nicole earlier today. As a mom, you have this connection to this small human. And it's a connection that, not, at least as a man, we just don't understand. Because it's just the life didn't grow inside us. Especially at that age. It, correct. And 
but you're you're going to grow, and even if you know you're wired differently than you know, say my wife or Jackie, there's always this giving to your children because they are literally a part of you. They're a part of us too, but they lived inside you. Yeah, it's different. It's it's totally different, and so absolutely, and you communicate with your spouse on this. Absolutely, if you're a mom, take time to be selfish and be you. Do not lose who you are into just motherhood, into just a, like none of that. You are all those things. Then some women are wired and designed so much greater than just a singular role. So, and I, it may be going way out there, way deep, but I think that's an incredibly important thing to understand is that you are not a singular role. You are a very multidimensional individual. Though this role as mother right now may take a little bit of precedence because Ethan's very tiny. Sure. I mean, yeah, I talked about it, but I do think, yes, I agree with you. Family is priority. Mm -hmm. But one thing that Jack and I wanted, and and we struggle with, of course, but we wanted to maintain even when we had kids is that like, we didn't want our kids, we wanted our kids to be an important part of our life. Mm -hmm. We didn't want them to become our life. Yes. So we did want to maintain, like, we want to have some hobbies. We do need some away time. You do need like... Even even if you're a stay-at-home mom, which mm-hmm. I think Stacy may or may not do, and for any stay-at-home mom or yeah. dad or whatever, yeah. like I think you need something outside of that. Sure, your kids should be very important. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be a priority at, at certain times, probably a higher priority than yourself, but it can't always be that way and mm-hmm. for you to not go crazy, in my opinion. No, I, I, I'm in agreeing with you. Like I said, if I have to prioritize anything, and that's why we set you know schedules that we're so selfish with our time. It's like, yeah. hey, if I'm going to do my stuff, but occasionally it's going to happen where it's going to be, all right, we have XYZ going on. We typically have ABC, and, and unfortunately, we just have to make a decision. And so if it's going to be something that's going to long-term benefit my family, or sometimes it's going to be, we're just not going to do anything. Sure. And that's okay too, by the way. Yep. Very long-winded answer on that. So, let me ask this one. Yeah, you can go to the next one. Caffeinated Lumberjack, which I love your uh, Yeah, that's a funny name. That's a great name. Uh, Getting into cheating, a.k.a. equipped lifting from Raw. Programming wife. Oh, that's supposed to be wise. That's a wise. Programming wife would be funny. Yeah. But that's that's a typo on my part. Programming wise and any other tips for young players slash lifters. I wonder if Caffeinated Lumberjack is not from the U.S. because – it's funny because the one guy I follow from India, mm-hmm. um, he always talks about players, which is like something we don't say about power lifters in the U.S. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but it's just interesting he used the term players. Well, let's um, take a look here. Yeah, you can look that up since you don't have that much experience. Uh, maybe you should be taking some notes here, Bane, for when you make your equipped We'll talk about that. Okay. i just saying you could take some notes. So we could honestly do a whole episode about this. I think there's a lot that goes into this. It'd be fun to have maybe a big equipped lifter on to talk about this. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's my tips kind of off the top of my head without putting an incredible amount of thought into it. But um, first, start with used gear if you can. Um, mm-hmm. Used gear, and that's a little loose. Um, it gives you the feel of things that are already broken in. Mm-hmm. Um, that broken in gear is often easier to use than newer, stiffer gear. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't be as tight. It's not. Eventually, you should get your own gear. But you should start playing around with some used stuff. Most equipped powerlifters have like boxes and bags full of old gear. Like, you know, Dixie the other day said she wanted to try mm-hmm. squatting and briefs, and like Jackie went to the back and found like four or five suits and briefs that could have fit her. Right. Um, and that's kind of how geared lifters are. They're like, oh, would you like to try this? Here, I've got an old thing that might fit you. Um, that would be my suggestion if you can, because mm-hmm. then you also aren't putting that investment in something that may or may not work for you. Very much so. 
Uh, and we've got a lot of gear that would fit you. We've got literally a box of gear from Jason Patrick that would probably fit your size. Uh, I, you know, use some different types of gear when you're starting out, but eventually once you find something you like, it's kind of like a training program. Like there's no perfect piece of gear. There's no perfect training program. Pick one and run with it for a while. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to learn a new bench shirt, which is probably the hardest piece of gear to learn. Once you find a shirt that semi works for you, you got to run it for at least a whole training cycle before you think, ah, this doesn't work. Like it takes time to break in. Mm -hmm. It takes time to learn the groove because different shirts have different grooves. Different shirts work better for different people. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people like the stiff shirts. I like more the stretchy, you know, poly kind of shirt like this. Super duper phenom has always worked better for me versus the the stiff Rage X overkill. Um, When you first start getting into gear, practicing your gear often. Um, and when you get close to a meet, you should be in full gear practicing. A lot of times singles mm-hmm. are going to be really helpful because it's just a different feel with a heavy weight for a single with your yeah, straps up, knees great. wrapped, touching your chest. Um, that's not to say you should do maxed out singles all the time. Um, but I don't expect that you can just throw gear on at the meet and get full depth and touch your chest. Uh, again, why I always suggest to start with looser gear, mm-hmm. it's actually there's not as much of a difference between single ply multiply as there is tight gear, loose gear, like multiply gear. Sure. You probably can get more out of it. Um, it, uh, it, you know, it might be a little bit harder to learn depending on the type, but stiffer single ply gear is going to be harder to learn how to use than a loose double ply piece of gear. Um, again, this could be a whole episode in and of itself, (laughs) but programming wise, you got to learn how to use it. Um, and, I think the last piece of advice is that uh, you should find a, you should find a group of lifters if you can that train in gear to learn from. Sure. Uh, so I'll add a little bit to that. One. Uh, so Catherine Lumberjack is from Australia. Oh, okay, yeah. Players and I- just welcomed a new baby into the world oh. four days ago. So well, congratulations. congratulations! Excited for you guys. Uh, I, I'm I'm in agreement with everything that Eric's talking about. You know, while yes, I'm a, a raw lifter, and I've talked about it on the show that I'm looking to move into equip lifting, you know, one of the reasons why that has been attractive to me, actually the two big reasons is one, it's a very unique challenge. I understand that there is a different level of technique and a different level of difficulty with, uh, which is why you're giving some of this advice, Eric, uh, you know, with equipped lifting and being around individuals that have done it, been, been there, seen it all, or, or, or seen many stuff with the, the equipment. That, that is so, so crucial. It's so crucial just to developing strength in general as being with those who have been there, done that. You can go it alone. I'm not saying you can't. There's plenty of folks who get very, very strong training and working out by themselves. However, I feel they are still missing out on the long-term uh, benefits of working with a team and training with uh, other, other like-minded individuals or even some of those. I, I always come back to Steve Brock because he's just a different animal. An animal is a very good term for Steve that he pulls out of the individual something that they are not necessarily even conscious is of, is available to them. Sometimes you need an individual like that. And, and if you can find them, cherish that individual uh, because they they are the ones that are going to help you, uh, especially if they're knowledgeable, uh, you know, achieve the goals that you have set and help you set new ones because you now have set a, a new bar for yourself. Yeah, there's a reason that 
most equipped lifters train with a crew. Yeah. I mean, there, there are anomalies. There's the, not, the not just to help him get in and out of stuff. Right. But. I mean, there's the Blaine Sumners out there who would yeah. probably be good no matter what he does because he's just a freak of nature. Yeah. And I think even now he has some people training with him, but he and, has his uh, own little gym set up. Uh, Nick Ski uh, that we met over at uh, in Manchester, he trains by himself. Yeah. No, there certainly are people, but I, my recommendation, if you're going to train equipped, uh, get a crew. If, in the very least, for safety's sake. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Eric from Willowbrook. Oh, and this was a late one. Weird. We had a few after it, but this was going to be one of our last questions. Eric from Willowbrook asks, the first thing you want to do once the, quote, shelter in place is over. For me, I just want to come to the gym and hug my friends. I have a lot of individuals who, I have some folks who have come to my, you know, my 316 barbell compound uh, up there in Des Plaines, but I, I'm looking forward to, and I almost want it to be like a show where like we tell everybody when to come in and like we have like music and like people have their own entrance themes. Like it'd be really, really fun to do all this, but I, d- I just want to be around the group, shotgun a White Claw and just hug all my friends. Eric, what the... First thing you want to do when the shelter. Yeah, I want to throw a party here at 2XL. (laughs) I mean, fuck. I mean, I want people here. I want to throw a party. I like throwing parties here. I want to see my people. I want to hang out together. I want to lift some heavy weights. It was fun, that last workout we did. That was fun. When we kind of, I'm glad we did it because it obviously has been even longer than I thought it was going to be. Yep. And I'm glad we got together and drank and lifted heavy weights. And And I have got a scotch you need to try. Ooh, boy. Is it smoky? It is not. Okay. Oh, boy. This stuff is good. So, yeah, that's that's what I'd really like to do. And I hope it can happen sooner than later. Amen. Amen. Uh, Trace from Tinley Park. Uh, I, I liked this question a lot, actually. What modern day lifter would you most want to see compete live? Stone. Uh, Blaine Sumner, who we just talked about. Yep. In the WPO. I I want to believe he's thought about it. He has oh, to. Yeah. 100% he's thought about it. I, and I, I don't I don't blame him for competing where he has cuz that I mean, hey, just like uh, I don't rag people play where you play. That's yeah, fine. people want to compete raw, people want to compete single ply, like he's the like there's there's a lot of gravitas in winning at the IPF. Like, no doubt. Oh, it's it's sure. a high level of competition. It is. And Blaine's one of the best. So I, I can't blame him. I just selfishly, I'd like to see him compete in the WPO and exactly. give Hoff a run for his money. And, and the two of them, Blaine with, you know, time to, to learn multiply and, you know, get whatever extra he's going to get out of it. I, I just think that would be that would be unbelievable to watch those two go toe-to-toe. Awesome. Great. Uh, for me, I want to see... Uh, Yuri Belkin, as far as raw competitors, I just I want to see him live. Um, an incredible lifter, great athlete, uh, and just so low key. Uh, and then equipped, uh, he's a guy from Finland. I don't know his last name, uh, Cali, uh, but he's I mean he's one of the best all around lifters. He's hold all time world records. I believe he's supposed to come to the last he's w- one to. of the WPOs and then super finals. Yep, didn't happen and had. Um, visa issues, but yeah, he's held all-time world records in raw, single-ply, and multi-ply. Great multi-dimensional lifter, and, and I just want to see him compete live. I think that'd be awesome, uh, whether the WPO or not. Uh, sure. My hope is uh, I had heard rumors he was supposed to compete at Body Power, so my, my hope is that it still goes on and he does. So Okay. Uh, go ahead with the next one. Uh, Senior Blanco <laughs> from Bufu, Illinois. <laughs> Will 2XL ever do another seminar with Super D, Donnie Thompson? Um, I would like to, and I've been in negotiations with his uh, body tempering seminar group mm-hmm. a couple of years, maybe 18 months ago mm-hmm. when we were 
I think in the old facility, so it was at least a little bit ago. Sure. Um, I think when we moved into the new space, I contacted them again. He's got a, a group that he's actually doing certification seminars with mm-hmm. that you can get some continuing education, at least in his home state, for physical therapists, sure. maybe for strength coaches. Um, if it worked out from a financial perspective, I would love to have Super D. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one we had was basically a wash. Sure. And that's not, that's not like to say, hey, everything we do, we have to make a million dollars. But as a business, um, you know, it has to make sense for us. I mm-hmm. think at this point we have a premier events facility. Mm-hmm. And it either has to be something where, hey, um, you know, you, if we it do don't some make kind dollars, of, it don't make sense. Right. There has to be some kind of either profit sharing where we run registration and mm-hmm. we each take a percentage or you pay us a rental fee. Um, I, I guess I would like to, but I would not do it just for the sake of having super D out here. Even though I think Donnie's a fantastic speaker. Mm-hmm. He's one of the smartest minds in the strength conditioning world right Fair now. So. I think his protocols are awesome. I learned probably more from that one seminar than any other like CEU thing mm-hmm. for the NSCA. Um, so yeah, I would love to see it happen again. I've tried to. Mm-hmm. Um, if it can happen and it makes sense financially, we'll do it. Cool, awesome. I, I have nothing to add to that. So, <laughs> uh, Mike, stationed in Campbell June. Hoorah! Appreciate your service, sir. Uh, had two questions. Uh, I'll ask the first one: What bar to buy first, a deadlift bar or an SS yoke bar? He already has a Texas Power bar. Uh, I'll answer real quick: the SSB, no question. It's a great bar, very versatile, huge, enormous. Help your squat. Yeah, I would agree. If if those are your choices, uh, deadlift bar, or safety squat bar, yoke bar, I would say definitely get the yoke bar first. It's, mm-hmm. If if you're only going to buy one specialty bar, I would mm-hmm. say always go with the safety squat bar. It's the yep. most versatile. You can do squats. Um, you can do front, front squats. squats. You can do good mornings. You can you do, do jam press. You can, I mean, take the handles off. You can do. Yeah, you could. Um, there, it's just very versatile in the yep. variations you can do, and it, it adds a great dimension to your training. Um, a deadlift bar is nice to have if you're going to compete. I like the deadlift bar. I yeah, use it a lot. Sure. But if I had a limited budget and could only get one bar, I would start with the yoke bar. Yeah. And you can use it if you get injured. Yeah. I'll let you ask the next one. Uh, Bane, uh, what's next for you? Knee wraps, single ply, multi ply, post recovery? Obviously, recovery is first and foremost. Uh, I'll go through the process. I've already started uh, the unilateral training and you know using the spider bar, which is nice. Uh, so we'll get through that. Uh, from there, I do have unfinished business in the raw world. I swear to God, you asked me about that 700, I might punch you. Um, but yes, a 700 pound raw squat is very much something that needs to be done. Uh, my preference is that I would be able to squat 804 naked knee, uh, drug tested. I believe that would be the drug tested, uh, all time 275 record, uh, which would be cool. I would love to have that. That said, I'm not hell bent on that, uh, one as much as the 700, so next for me is going to be at least one more raw meat. Don't know if that's going to be this year because, again, that depends on the calendar, depends on my recovery. Yeah. All those things are, you know, obviously working at the same time with each other. But there will be at least one more raw meat. And then uh, my plan is that the Illinois State Meet 2022, which will be right around my birthday, right around my, around my 40th birthday, uh, I will be in full multiply. I will take the rest of the time after that last raw meat uh, to fully – commit to the multiply gear, trying different things out, learning the techniques I'm going to need to do, refining everything. Uh, my very audacious goal is to uh, squat a thousand pounds on my 40th birthday. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so that's what's next. Uh, we had an extra one that we didn't write down, but uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, Jay Jimbro wants to know, when am I going to be on the podcast? 
who are you? <laughs> uh, jo- Joey, uh, for- the man formerly known as JJ underscore fitness 13. Like, <laughs> you know, I'd be happy to have you on, but uh, what uniqueness can you bring to the table? Yeah, what, what value are you bringing to our podcast that's gonna, you know, pre- that our listeners can appreciate? Uh, I mean, you're a pretty face. You definitely have a face for radio, but right, right. I don't know if... Uh... So we'll say this, Joey. When you break some kind of record, I'm not talking about teenage, junior record. When you break some kind of like open record or all-time world record or qualify for the WPO Raw, as he said he was going to do, um, wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have you on the podcast. A- any questions from Bain? I don't see any from you on here. Uh, you know, I, I, I kicked some around. Uh, no, I, I really was just focused on my, uh, my what is bullshit. I, I spent most of my mental energy on that So one. should I ask the question everyone's asking me, for, waiting for me to ask, Bane? Go ahead. Eric from Willowbrook wants to know, Bane, when are you going to squat 700? <sighs> my first raw meat back, I will squat 700 pounds come hell or high water. Boom. And I will bury that bitch with three fucking white lights. Ah, I mean, you know. I am taking that fucking number. Good. <laughs> that's, that's my answer. God damn it. Okay. Well, good. Well, that has been uh, uh, an ang- probably one of our angrier episodes in a while. Yeah. Um, I, I, we have really tried, and if you guys have been listening to our episodes, it's been my goal not to focus on COVID-19 because I feel like like, I, you can't even watch YouTube without bullshit commercials coming in. Like, you know, it's just. We hope it's, your family is safe. No, you fucking uh, don't. You're selling me something. God damn it. It's like, yeah, in the current condition, it's like. Which, which is why I actually stopped doing that on all work related emails. Like, no more of this. I hope this finds you well. Like, because here's the thing you, you, you aren't well because you're at home, and you know I don't care. Yeah, so we've tried to avoid the not making these episodes surrounding around COVID-19. I feel like this one, we got some questions, and it, it makes sense. Uh, Howard's mostly, when he's been on, he's mostly talked about governmental issues related to this. Yep, correct. Um, I've tried to keep this nonpartisan and, and talk about policy, not mm-hmm. politics. And that's, I'm just angry. Yeah, and if, you, and if you know me, that's what I'm going to continue to focus on, is what is good public policy, not mm-hmm. politics and who, you know, what letters after somebody's name. Um, next week, we will go back to our regular scheduling programming. Yep. Um, we'll have a, a, an extra with another cool interview from another WPO lifter. Oh, yeah, this one. Be, be excited for this one. It's going to be awesome. And really then we've got uh, a couple choices for next week. I've got one that we've talked about, but if not, we'll do one we've talked about for a while, which will require some research to me this, this weekend mm-hmm. and week, is talking about drug testing in sport and mm-hmm. powerlifting. Um, doping, you know, yeah. I mean, we've, we've alluded to it in past episodes when we've talked about the alphabet soup of powerlifting, when yep. we've talked about the, uh, the Ernie Franz, uh, the USPF lawsuit. USPF lawsuit. I mean, it, if you really break it down, the APF was formed because of drug testing. Correct. I mean, sure. Ernie wanted some other things, but the underlying issue with Ernie and Larry Pacifico in the early eighties was they didn't want drug testing because they knew that they were using substances, which wouldn't pass a drug test. Right. And so were most of the other lifters. Correct. So they just were going to be more open and honest about it, which yeah. is a unique thing of uh, we've talked about with, with powerlifting because you've got the three main strength sports, maybe four if you count strongman. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put strongman and bodybuilding together on this one. Mm-hmm. They basically don't have drug testing. Nobody cares. Nope. Um, Though people uh, were aghast when the mountain and then <laughs> used steroids, which blew my – like, what the fuck? Right. So you've got two strength sports that – 
there's no drug testing at all. Mm-hmm. You've got one which is only drug tested, which yep. kind of shocks me in Olympic lifting. Like, yeah, I, right. I'm always been shocked that like somebody hasn't been like, hey, let's start a non-tested Olympic lifting federation. And then third, powerlifting. Because no one wants a 600 pound snatch. <laughs> and <laughs> and the other one you've got is powerlifting, which has basically got two you know desperate paths of drug tested and non-tested. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got the desperate passive raw versus equip. So yeah. there's something about powerliftings and powerlifting and them wanting to be independent that just, you know, we just can't help ourselves but form new organizations based on splintering issues. Yeah. Oh, God. So anything else to add, Mr. Bain? Uh, I know we were plenty angry on this episode, but I, I do want to just put this out there to everybody is that all, all is not lost. I know that things are, you know, as Eric said, we try to focus on the the non-shittiness of everything going on. And that can be challenging. As corny as it is, this too shall pass. There will be a time when you get to walk into your gym with no mask, mask off, uh, music playing, you hear plates clattering around, you hear, you know, people snorting ammonia, you see people chewing on, uh, you know, Various gummies, whether it's Swedish fish or Sour Patch Kids or whatever, and you're going to smell the sweat and the chalk and a little bit of BO and some old White Claw, and you're going to be home. It's coming. I promise you it's coming. And just keep remembering that. That's all I got. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and Anger.